the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed, and he's here to say good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good to have you with us for this uh, Tuesday, the 18th of August, in what is turning out to be a very surreal summer not just on the heels of COVID-19 and thunderstorms around the Bay Area, making me feel like I was in Indiana rather than California. And, of course, uh, the usual wildfires, albeit perhaps a bit earlier than uh, seasonally typical over recent years here in California. And if all of that wasn't enough to make life exciting for you, school's back in, but not really because the kids are still at home. And meanwhile... We have conventions to run. We have elections to hold on Tuesday, November the 3rd. And leading up to that, of course, typically it's sort of an exciting time of year as Republicans and Democrats take their turns before the nation, uh, kind of putting on a a multi-day-long extravaganza for um, both convention-goers, delegates, and for viewers to television. Although... Certainly to be true, in recent years, the importance of the conventions seems to sort of diminish year by year and um, a a weakening level of uh, media coverage where back in the old days, the big networks, the big three would open up big swaths of airtime in order to accommodate live convention coverage. And today you're, you're lucky hardly if you hear anything at all, but perhaps a couple of highlights during the 10.30 or 11 o'clock news. We've long held a tradition on Lifeline going back some three decades now, uh, providing you, as reasonably possible, as much election coverage and the key highlights of both Democrat and Republican conventions for years. And And I say that because as we lead off this week of conventioning, um, it's an unusual set of circumstances. Uh, they are largely all pre-recorded. They are not in person. They are shadows of their former selves, to be sure. And yet there are elements of what is discussed at these conventions in terms of conveying of plans and platforms and goals if one party or the other is elected to um, the presidency come November that I think it's critically important for all of us to be aware. Now let me... uh, quickly put in the disclaimer here that as we head into convention season both this week and of course uh, coming back with the uh, Republican convention um, shortly as well, um, you'll hear things that you will disagree with. You may hear positions and opinions that you find disquieting, disarming, uh, alarming, perhaps the whole gambit. But we present them in their Uh, shall we say, unedited, warts-and-all format so that you, as an informed citizen, taxpayer, voter, and believer, can make decisions on your own, for yourself, informed decisions, decisions that are informed by 
positions and information in sort of the approach of you heard it here. And then with that knowledge, being forewarned is forearmed to then go into the ballot box or perhaps <laughs> lick the back of the envelope, whatever the case may be, come November, and let your voice be heard. Lincoln, in the Gettysburg Address, speaks of government of, by, and for the people. And certainly that participatory sense of self-governance that we have, which is largely unique to America. There are many other countries that, um, since our founding, have emulated what we've done to varying degrees, but it is certainly a unique experience um, initially um, on the American landscape to have government of, by, and for the people. We don't have kings. We don't have queens. We have a citizenship form of government, and when we like what the our fellow citizens who are elected to office do, we keep them in office. And when we don't like what we do, what they do, we show them out of office. And so with that in mind, we are going to present through the course of this week highlights of Decision 2020, the Democrat National Convention. Again, it's a bit of a different convention, so rather than presenting you with live coverage, as we historically have done, we'll instead present highlights uh, things that we've called out that we think are, are key for you to listen to. The the convention over the next several days running on average about two or two and a half hours a night of pre-recorded comments and addresses from a variety of uh, political figures and individuals within the Democrat Party. Some of it, of course, uh, feels a lot like uh, a big propaganda show. And uh, so we've tried to kind of cut through to the substance of what is being talked about and as best as possible call out much that relates to policy and platform that will help to inform your vote come November the 3rd. So with that thought and spirit in mind, uh, we'll say for the benefit of um, Republicans listening that uh, you'll get your turn. And uh, for Democrats that maybe walk away with a sense of uh, uh, fuzzy feelings, that's okay because the tables will be turned on you in about a week's time. And we're doing this out of a sense of wanting to be as fair and balanced as possible. People that have listened for this program down through the years know that one of the hallmarks of what we have concentrated on doing when it comes to election cycles, and particularly the political convention season, is to present the facts, warts and all, let the Democrats present their argument, let the Republicans present their argument, and then you, the informed voter, get to decide. So with that thought in mind, we're going to lead you into some highlights of the Democrat National Convention here on KFAX. We'll also have some insights and commentary coming up a little bit later on in the program and uh, deal with some uh, business of the day, as the saying goes. So without any further ado, we get things underway. And as we lead off the convention, um, we typically started with the presentation of the National Anthem. And I thought, uh, fittingly this year, with all of the um, shelter-in-place COVID-19 restrictions, uh, they produced a montage of Americans from across the nation doing the national anthem. I thought it was very well done and a, a fitting way to sort of launch into um, the program tonight by first and foremost setting aside any sense of partisan politics and uh, focusing instead on what we have in common as Americans.
You're listening to Decision 2020, highlights of the Democrat National Convention on AM 1100 KFAX. The Democrat National Convention opened Monday evening with a disjointed virtual spectacle loaded with pre-taped video packages and telethon-like energy accompanied by several unmistakably strange moments befitting these bizarre times. Former First Lady Michelle Obama was once again saddled with the job of rescuing part of a nominating convention, this time at the tail end of a surreal nominating convention delivered entirely remotely and without the benefit of live audience. She acknowledged that Biden is, quote, not perfect, but capped off the two-hour spectacle loaded with feel-good, patriotic telethon moments by getting intensely real, saying, quote, If you take one thing from my words tonight, it is this. If you think things cannot possibly get worse, trust me, they can. And they will if we don't make a change in this election, she said. When Obama recorded her speech earlier in the month, she noted that more than 150,000 Americans had died. By the time it aired on Monday evening, the figure was more than 173,000 Americans dead from COVID-19. Historically, incumbents tend to have the upper hand in politics, and while Trump's response to the coronavirus pandemic and subsequent social upheaval has seemingly erased his advantage, the president, an ex-reality TV host and ever the showman, will likely benefit from learning from the Democrats' mostly strange attempt at navigating the first socially distanced convention in the history of political conventions. The Democrat National Committee's opening night seemed at times lost in unexplored territory, aimlessly trying to figure out ways to reproduce the pre-COVID-19 convention benefits of a week that typically is made up of free airtime filled with state and national party stars addressing an easy-to-please arena filled with people that would normally shower even the weakest speakers with rapturous applause. Like a telethon or late-night infomercial, the broadcast last night wheeled all the tools in its arsenal, including first-person testimonials and speeches all to send one core message to viewers. Elect Joe Biden. Topics range from serious policy talk about everything from policing to health care to the U.S. Postal Service to the president's tweets. The only discernible theme of the night seemed to be appealing to disenchanted Republicans, Former Republican gubernatorial candidate Meg Whitman made a pre-recorded appearance, as did former Ohio Governor John Kasich and former Representative Susan Molinari. Each hammered away at Trump's temperament and his handling of the pandemic. At one point in the proceedings, a somber message highlighting some of the 173,000 Americans who've died from the coronavirus played like an eerie award show in memoriam segment, but still delivered a punch to the gut. On this edition of Lifeline, we present highlights of the 2020 Democrat National Convention. 
Good evening. I'm Eva Longoria Baston, and welcome to the 2020 Democratic National Convention, Uniting America. Every four years, we come together to reform our democracy. This year, we've come to save it. It's going to take all of us. So tonight, we stand together united by the values we cherish, decency, respect, justice, and the opportunity to rise up. We always hear that line about this being the most important election of our lifetimes, but this year, it really is. The past few months have tested us all. We've lost more than 170,000 family members and friends to COVID. This tragedy is compounded by the loss of jobs and income. But it's not just the past few months. The past four years have left us as a nation diminished and divided. And yet, in the middle of the fear and sorrow and the uncertainty, people have come together because they know we are better than this. America is better than this. And so we choose to act, inspired by the three sacred words that breathed life into our nation, we the people. The former congressman from Ohio, the former governor of Ohio, John Kasich. America is at a crossroads. Sometimes elections represent a real choice, a choice we make as individuals and as a nation about which path we want to take when we've come to challenging times. America is at that crossroads today. The stakes in this election are greater than any in modern times. Many of us have been deeply concerned about the current path we've been following for the past four years. It's a path that's led to division, dysfunction, irresponsibility, and growing vitriol between our citizens. Continuing to follow that path will have terrible consequences for America's soul because we're being taken down the wrong road by a president who has pitted one against the other. He's unlike all of our best leaders before him who work to unite us, to bridge our differences and lead us to a united America. I'm a lifelong Republican, but that attachment holds second place to my responsibility to my country. That's why I've chosen to appear at this convention. In normal times, something like this would probably never happen. But these are not normal times. I'm proud of my Republican heritage. It's the party of Lincoln, who reflected its founding principles of unity and a higher purpose. But what I have witnessed these past four years belies those principles. Many of us can't imagine four more years going down this path. And that's why I'm asking you to join with me in choosing a better way forward. I believe the best of America lies ahead, but only when we rediscovered our shared belief in the United States of America for our children's future, which can be bright, hopeful, and inspired if we choose to make it so. I've known Joe Biden for 30 years. I know his story of profound grief that has so deeply affected his character. I know Joe is a good man, a man of faith, a unifier, someone who understands the hopes and dreams of the common man and the common woman, a man who can help us to see the humanity in each other. He knows that the path to a restored and rejuvenated America lies in respect and unity and a common purpose for everyone. Yes. There are areas where Joe and I absolutely disagree, but that's okay, because that's America. Because whatever our differences, we respect one another as human beings. 
each of us searching for justice and for purpose. We can all see what's going on in our country today and all the questions that are facing us. And no one person or party has all the answers. But what we do know is that we can do better than what we've been seeing today for sure. And I know that Joe Biden with his experience and his wisdom and his decency can bring us together to help us find that better way. I'm sure there are Republicans and independents who couldn't imagine crossing over to support a Democrat. They fear Joe may turn sharp left and leave them behind. I don't believe that because I know the measure of the man. It's reasonable, faithful, respectful. And you know, no one pushes Joe around. Joe Biden is a man for our times, times that call for all of us to take off our partisan hats and put our nation first for ourselves and, of course, for our children. When America chooses the right path and pulls together, like we've done so many times before, you know, we can dream big dreams and we can see the top of the mountain as a United States of America with a soul that is a beacon of freedom to the entire world. What is uh, perhaps infinitely bizarre, or as um, Chris Christie referred to it as a backstabbing, uh, there, of course, is John Kasich, former governor of Ohio, uh, for whom, if you don't recall, ran on the Republican Party ticket as a Republican. In fact, he ran in the primary four years ago against Donald Trump as a Republican. Perhaps he's changed parties. Here now is Representative Jim Claiborne of South Carolina. Six months ago, here in historic Charleston, South Carolina, I stood not far from here and endorsed Joe Biden to be our 46th president. It was a decision I made with my feet firmly planted in this community. This community, where 80% of African Americans in this country can claim an ancestor who arrived on these shores in bondage. A few blocks from here, over at Gaston's Wharf. This community that is still healing from the wounds we received when a white supremacist entered Emmanuel AME Church and murdered nine black parishioners as they studied the Bible together. The ground beneath our feet is seeded with pain that is both old and new. But from that soil, we always find a way to grow together. Earlier this summer, the city of Charleston removed its statute honoring John C. Calhoun, an honored advocate of slavery. And construction is underway on the International African American Museum at Gadsden's Wharf. Much like the country as a whole, we are stepping out from the shadows of our past and beginning to lay the groundwork for a more just future. It won't be easy. We can only succeed if we move forward together. So we will need a president who sees unifying people as a requirement of the job. A president who understands the true meaning of community and how to build it through trust and humility. And with so many families experiencing loss in this pandemic, lost jobs, lost loved ones, and lost confidence in the president to keep us safe, we need a president who understands both profound loss and what it takes to bounce back. But more important than his firsthand experience with loss and hardship is his ability to translate that perspective into policy 
and solutions and prioritize hard-working people and persistent poverty counties over partisan politics or personal gain. That's why I stand with Joe and why he will always be an adopted son of South Carolina. Joe Biden is as good a man as he is a leader. I have said before and wish to reiterate tonight, we know Joe, but more importantly, Joe knows us. You're listening to Decision 2020, highlights of the Democrat National Convention on AM 1100 KFAX. Welcome back to Decision 2020 Highlights from the Democrat National Convention here on AM 1100 KFAX. One of the issues that was discussed and will no doubt continue to be a reoccurring theme both of this convention as well as the upcoming Republican convention, and that is the backdrop of COVID-19. Not just the government response, but how we move forward in navigating many of the challenges related to COVID, not least of which is the reopening of schools. For many school districts across the country, yesterday, Monday, was supposed to be the first day back to school, although certainly in many parts of California and specifically the Bay Area, you could barely tell it. Most kids back to what had been business as usual earlier in the spring with so-called distance learning. And while certainly this is a hot topic of discussion related to education, there are deeper, broader issues that really need to be a focus of any convention when it comes to public policy and a political platform. And that is not just how successful or lack of success our public schools are, but also a lot of the curriculum, the content that's being discussed. And for many parents here in California, uh, that is a bit of a, um, a dangerous third rail. When we talk about educational quality as it relates to the intrusiveness of some of the curricula, many parents feel that most recently California has gone simply a field too far. Joining me now with some insights is constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. And Brad, certainly we've seen sort of this slow, steady march into issues related to gender dysphoria, the opening up of schools to children who are allowed to then suddenly um, attend girls PE, even though they were born male gender because they're dealing with gender identity dysphoria. But beyond that, we're seeing more and more a curricula related to sex education in the public classrooms that seems to be just simply out of control. Beyond the issue of things like gender dysphoria, even abortion being discussed in not only graphic terms to children as young as fifth grade, but also also when it means of almost, um, what else do we say, but, but trying to, to proselytize in a sense. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, it is shocking, Craig, uh, 
that uh, our public schools, every public school in California, all the way down to the uh, kindergarten level, um, is mandated uh, to comply with this new radical uh, sex ed, LGBTQ, uh, sexual lifestyle uh, actions that uh, the curriculum that they're putting forward. Um, and the, the real crisis is that parents don't even know it's happening or it's coming, uh, and yet it is so sh- shocking. For example, down to the, the uh, kindergarten level, uh, they're exposing children to gender confusion, saying you could be a boy on the outside, you'd be a girl on the inside, et cetera. And this is, psychologists say this is very damaging. This is destructive. Um, and it may be serve certain political games and, and, and agendas, but it's very, very uh, controversial and destructive. And another aspect of this is dealing with um, uh, abstinence and, and morality. The only moral element now that exists is one of consent, which says, okay, uh, you know, here's how you uh, give consent for sexual activity or not, and here's the proper way of respecting other people if they don't give you consent. It's not so if a child feels that, okay, the only issue is do I give consent, then that's it. It's not a matter, and, and, and do I feel it's the right time for me? You know, do I feel like I'm ready? Well, unfortunately, young adolescents almost all feel that they're ready. I mean, that's sort of a major problem we have in our society. So there's no more, and then even the abstinence, uh, educate, what they use, they, they, that term is used not to describe abstaining from sexual activity. It says, no, abstinence is, are those sexual activities that don't get girls pregnant. And here's all the wonderful alternative ways of in, in sexual activities, some of which the average parent would not have even thought of, uh, much less ever done. So it's it's really way out there. And I, I would love to give examples, but I can't because we're on radio and uh, the FCC would probably highly object. So, but that's what the children are being exposed to, and it's very shocking. What's problematic about this is not only is it difficult enough parenting in this day and age when you're grappling with questions of uh, do I send my child back? Will he or she be safe from exposure to a pandemic? But now they have to grapple with the question of do I send my child back to school because he or she may not be safe because of exposure to extremist ideas that run contrarian to what I think most parents, and and let me be quick to add here, Counselor, I don't see this as a religious issue. We may be here on a a religious radio station, but I don't see this as a religious issue much as it is a parenting question. It is a moral issue. Um, To which end do we say that a child is mature and responsible enough to be dealing with kinds of questions that oftentimes even adults will struggle with. And there are probably few 13 or 14-year-old boys out there that would suggest to you that they don't know when they're ready to engage in sexual intercourse. And therefore, the reason why we as parents have the responsibility to, to mentor, to set guidelines. And when you've got one set of guidelines, one set of rules, um, one curricula, so to speak, when it comes to um, sex education going on in the home and in the church, and then the absolute contrarian views being presented to young children in the public classroom, where albeit they've got more time, more exposure, it's difficult for a child who's at school 25, 35 hours a week, and with the parents, you know, rushing here and there, not a lot of good quality time, and at church, maybe an hour and a half 
two and a half hours a week, and yet they're going to try to compete with the, the influence of ideas to a child who, who is readily available for the indoctrination, shall we call mm -hmm. it? I mean, this is a very dangerous slope down which we head. It is, and this program, this, this sex ed curriculum, they call it, which is much more than just sex education, um, and it, it applies to not just the kindergarten level. It's a, it's a, a whole 13-year uh, program. So a child starts in kindergarten and gets exposed to X, Y, and Z, and then this, and this, and this, and this. And by the time they're a senior in high school, I have a hard – I, I call this spiritual genocide because I have a hard time seeing how many kids at all could still call themselves Christians and believe, as the Bible teaches, after going through this very extreme and dangerous indoctrination. And, and get this, Craig, it's not just California. We found out 17 other – major cities, and the number's growing, across the United States um, are also adopting the same curriculum. Even like the, uh, Austin, Texas, Fort Worth, Texas are just two examples. In, and even in red states where you have blue cities, dark blue cities, they're grabbing onto this. And that's why we produced at Pacific Justice, why we produced this uh, documentary film, which is debuting this Friday. Yeah, because I'm going to guarantee you uh, the, the danger of all of this is not going to be a topic of concern at uh, the convention that we're covering tonight. I just, I just have that strong, overwhelming sense that's not going to be the case. And as if kids won't grow up to the point where we're going to be exposed to all of this uh, in the community at large through Hollywood, television, film, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, it, just, it, it is phenomenally shocking. If, if, if there's anything is still having some shock value left, living in California, we've certainly found it. Now, in terms of shock value, and I think this is, a, this is an eye-opener, and parents need to have this wake-up call, there is going to be this special documentary that's been put together by Pacific Justice Institute called Sex Ed, Let Parents Decide. It's absolutely free for the viewing, and I understand all they need to do is go to the PJI dot org website in order to register and they'll be then sent um, a link and they can watch this film uh, multiple times this friday only between 2 and 10 p.m is that correct that that is correct and i do have one more major warning and that is this is extremely graphic this is mature audience ma not even r it's ma rating and it's not because we put dirty stuff in we just accurately had the actual diagrams the pictures uh the the language that the children are going to see that is what we put in we didn't we put in what the children are exposed to and because of that it is for adults only it is not for teenagers not for kids adults only but if people get offended it's this is what your children are exposed to we didn't add anything to it this is straight from the curriculum that all that these children are being exposed to. So it's, it's, but, so it's very important parents see this. And when they see it, I think many of them will not help but think about alternative educational choices for their children, especially if they're living in the state of California or cities that are adopting it. So at the end of the day, if you watch it and you walk away with your, your senses being horrifically assaulted and, uh, and you feel highly offended, imagine how your 10-year-old will react. Again, Sex Ed, Let Parents Decide, is a streaming event that will take place this Friday. That's the 21st 
of August, and uh, you can watch it repeatedly anytime between 2 and 10 p.m. It is free for the viewing. You do, however, need to register, and you can do so by going to pacificjustice.org. That's Pacific justice.org once they get to the website counselor will it be real clear as to where they need to go to sign up oh yes it'll be very clear and i encourage people to take advantage of it um and then and then also to pass the information on to other parents um as well and pastors of churches we really want pastors of churches to see this so their eyes can be opened up because we have an incredible afterwards we have an epilogue uh right after the film it's a part of the film project project talking about solutions and opportunities that churches can play in helping to stop the spiritual genocide and rescue as many kids as possible. It's a great opportunity for all churches and pastors uh, to be aware of as well. So we encourage pastors and, uh, to, to get involved as well. Sex Ed, Let Parents Decide, a streaming event taking place again this coming Friday, August the 21st. It will be uh, viewed repeatedly anytime you'd like between 2 and 10 p.m. this Friday, August 21st only. There's no cost for this. You do, however, need to register in advance by going to pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Our thanks to Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Um, I'll mention that as our coverage continues, we're going to talk a bit about another issue that's a hot button as we come into the November election, and that is the ongoing battle over abortion rights in the United States and with uh, a number of celebrated victories to the United States Supreme Court. How might that be impacted if there's a political change in November? We'll discuss that with the Western Regional Director of the National Right to Life Committee, Brian Johnston. You're listening to Decision 2020, highlights of the Democrat National Convention on AM 1100 KFAX. Welcome back to Decision 2020. Highlights of the Democrat National Convention here on AM 1100 KFAX. We're going to get back to more of those highlights in just a moment, but I want to pause for a moment to zero in on an issue that is undoubtedly one of the most hotbed topics related to, well, really any party platform, but especially so during this 2020 election cycle as it relates to the issue of abortion. Now, as you are undoubtedly aware, a number of states have passed some key measures that have helped toward restricting abortion, particularly as we look at abortion on the extremes, meaning third trimester up to the point of even infanticide. And as much as there have been key appointments done to the United States Supreme Court, there's a lot more work that needs to be done. 
And while neither party is necessarily making this a a, um, sort of banner platform issue, it is nevertheless a very key one that will be touched down undoubted, touched on undoubtedly over the next couple of days for Democrats and then uh, subsequently at the Republican convention as well. How pivotal, how key this year? An insight now from Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. And you know, Brian, it's been articulated by uh, both sides of this equation uh, that this may be one of the key, if not most important, elections of our lifetime, and certainly when it relates to the topic of abortion, that's ultimately quite true. Well, we have to recognize that, and as we look at the the rhetoric coming out of the Democrat Party right now, I have to admit to you, and the clips I saw, I found them to be very compelling. But it's really the meanings that's not getting examined, and I'll tell you forthrightly, there's quite a few infomercials and out-out television commercials for various products that I have found compelling as well. So what's interesting is we're seeing a television presentation, quite literally, and using language that is actually not representative of the full-orb facts, but instead are misrepresenting. The words are misrepresenting their true meaning. And nowhere could this be clearer than the issue of abortion, because the issue of abortion, again, doesn't get fully examined. It's not about just the first trimester. And Roe and Doe, as companion decisions, have authorized these late-term killings that we do hear about, as you know, but the popular media refuses to talk about. And yet it's a very much a part of the abortion regime and regimen because choice means the freedom to kill that child, the ownership, if you will, of that child, and the freedom to dispose of that child on choice because it's wanted to be destroyed. It's not that, that it's really anything other than a thing. And yet science has told us, even early on, but that's not what they're legalizing. As you know, here in California, the state is funding the killing of babies with state funds that are perfectly healthy, and the mothers are perfectly healthy. And so we're looking at language, oh, this is about women's rights, just like voting. No, no, this is substantively different than women being free to vote. It is a very different issue. It is, in fact, in legal principle, very similar to slavery. Is this another human being that is being oppressed and even killed at the whim of the owner? And that really is the predicate if you look at the legal implications. And that's why honest judges like Sandra Day O'Connor, in her one of her dissents, said, look, Roe v. Wade is, is without foundation in law or logic. It's on a collision course with itself. So that illogical position is not something the Democrat Party will discuss. They will use weasel words, and you're seeing that now. And one of the reasons they have to make everything about opposing Donald Trump, it isn't just his personality. We've talked about that. This man is changing the nature of the Supreme Court and bringing the Supreme Court back to using objective legal facts and not the rhetoric of progressivism. And that's what happened in Rome is that language was used and twisted to change the laws of all 50 states. And they see that America is waking up. So this is a critical, critical election, and it is because of the significance of the court. And what, what is brought now from this administration is a return 
to the common-sense principles of the Constitution, which really have been abandoned. One of, no doubt, the, the key issues here to be considering, I referred, and as you do too, to Supreme Court appointments. As we know, over the course of this first term in office, the president has had a chance to make not one but two historic appointments to the high court. And given the current health concerns surrounding Associate Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, whose uh, cancer diagnosis uh, recently has returned, undoubtedly that's going to be the next open seat. And while we wish Ms. Ginsburg no ill uh, will by any means uh, and, and, and pray for her speedy uh, recovery, and nevertheless, given the fragility of her health scenario, that's probably going to be an appointment that will open up on the high court sooner than later. Yes, and, and there's so much at the court level, but then on down, on down through the entire federal court system, that many of the cases that have great import. So Kansas just passed a, a, uh, a pro-life measure that's going to be signed by the governor about the Dismemberment Act. Well, that's going to go up through the federal courts of appeals, and many of those are the final decision. But because of Roe, until Roe and Doe were dealt with on abortion, we're not going to see good laws upheld. But once Roe and Doe are properly handled, it's these other appeal courts. And so there's a whole culture shift that we're witnessing, and that's why you see this desperate, desperate uh, attempt by those who are progressive to do whatever it takes to stop this election process and to create dissent. I can't help but think of Mrs. Pelosi who says, you know, this president needs to bring unity, when in fact what she's doing is insisting there's no unity. So that literally she's saying, we're going to divide this country, and we refuse to be united, and it's your fault. And that's really the approach of the Democrats to create dissent to create dissension, it's really a Marxist. If you study Marxism, it's a fundamental premise of culture change is to create cultural division and animosity. That's how they move things in their direction. And so then to demand he's got to fix it when they're the ones that are, in fact, creating and fomenting dissent. The ultimate goal is to stop this president, and he's been extraordinary in his appointments and in his commitment to the principle that America has been down on. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, and uh, no doubt he'll unpack many of these issues coming up on Life Matters, heard every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. That's Life Matters with Brian Johnston, Saturday mornings at 11 on AM 1100 KFAX. More information available on the web at californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. You're listening to Decision 2020, highlights of the Democrat National Convention on AM 1100 KFAX.